What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett as ever, as we embark on an international break and a a welcome rest for Manchester United. Some of Manchester United's players, Rob, how are you doing? Not bad, not bad. I I was thinking international break, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like become a necessary evil now in this kind of run. And I said this last week, now that Marcus Rashford isn't playing for England over these next couple of weeks, I feel a lot better about the international break. I kind of think, yeah, Marcus needs a rest, and so do some of our players. So let's see what happens, obviously, with England and the rest, but I'm just glad that some of our players will be getting ready for the next phase of the season. My notes say Marcus Rashford has minor injury. No. Uh, <laughs> that's my, my first talking point for today. Uh, you've already mentioned it there, Rob. Uh, it is... A welcome. I, I would maybe put Bruno Fernandez also in this category of needing a rest, mm. uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but Rashford was the the one really, wasn't he? He was he was the one player that you wanted to see have a little bit a little bit of a break. Yeah, that, look, I think all the major players at United have started to look a tiny bit jaded, and this was something that we talked about weeks ago, saying that this could happen, and we've now hit, I think, that kind of fatigue wall, haven't we? So I think with Marcus. Obviously, he's still been scoring all the goals, but I th- I've been noticing a little bit of a downtick in some of his performances, his movement, his pressing. And that's that's across the board for United. So it's not a kind of Marcus Rashford-specific thing. But you're definitely seeing, I think, Ten Hag having to try and find ways to keep the team ticking along whilst looking after players and making sure they're not playing too many minutes. Yes, we'll talk today about the game in which he he picked up a minor injury against Fulham and a win in the FA Cup. United are now in the last four. They will play... Who are they playing? Brighton in the in the semi-final at Wembley. I forgot there. Sorry, my, my head's all over the shop today. We'll talk Christian Eriksen. We'll talk a bit of transfer business as well because I would imagine that uh, transfer speculation is going to ramp up quite a bit over the next couple of weeks. We'll talk some potential transfer targets from Brighton. Uh, and we'll talk the latest on the ownership developments as well with Wednesday set to be a big day. Uh, but you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods 
on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc., and watch us on YouTube twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. Head over to YouTube, subscribe to the channel, uh, leave a comment for us, like the video, and you can follow us on Twitter as well, underscore Scott Saunders, underscore Rob, underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show as well. Let's, uh, let's just do a little bit more on why you feel Marcus Rashford needs a rest, Rob, because obviously he didn't score the other day, uh, but no, like he's, he's not quite been as effective of late. And I think you could probably say that about United as a whole because they're looking, they're not controlling games in the way that you would want them to. The, the energy isn't really there. They were lucky against Fulham, to be honest. I know that they, uh, David De Gea made, made a few saves. They obviously forced the, <laughs> the game-changing moment on a, on a counter-attack, which was just flat-out crazy behavior from Fulham and quite funny. We'll talk about that as well. But um, they... they <sighs> They needed this break, didn't they? They really did. They do, and they did. And I think it's like everything. I think the Brighton game, um, I'm sorry, not the Brighton game, the Fulham game, you're right. They were really, really lucky. But you could say sometimes, cliche-wise in football, that you make your own luck sometimes. Overall, I think that this is a trend of what we're seeing with United's performances. But as I keep saying, performances don't matter now. Results do. Get your results. Get to Wembley again. You know, like we've got to a semi-final. That's the objective, isn't it? It's the same with the Premier League. It's the same with Arsenal at the very, very top. And City, isn't it? They've just got to win games now. No one's going to say at the end of the season, oh, didn't they play really well in that spell? No, they're going to talk about three points for a win. So that's why I think where Man United are. And I think this is where we're going to see, you know, how much of a grip Ten Hag's got of this squad. Because I still think that the the old adages of the problems from the past are still there, of passing the ball, of maybe not having the energy for the press all the time. Like I think we're seeing that degrade massively now. And this was the kind of game against a Fulham side who were motivated and had a really good season where they could have turned the screw on you. And of course, at 1-0, what are we all thinking? We're all thinking probably going out the cup. And then it all exploded and went completely crazy. So I just think United, well, it's the major players, Scott, because the squad itself, even though we've got players who can come in and do a job, they're just not as good as the starters. They're just not as good as the very best players at the club. You lost Casemiro, you lost Varane. Manchester United just cannot operate in the same function without those two players. That's something we're going to have to navigate going forward because, of course, Casemiro's still got the suspension to finish. And Varane, we're not quite sure about the injury. We hope that the international break should clear it up. And he's obviously retired from French duty now. But if you lose him for any period, you know, no offence to Harry Maguire. But I just spent the whole game, like my hands behind my eyes, every time he touched it, every time he touched the ball, you just thought he's going to get run here. And it kind of did. He had good moments, but he had plenty of bad moments as well. That rotation is enforced on you and we're going to have to expect that, which is why I think we also have to expect that maybe the rest of the season won't go the way we really want it to go. The plus sides are that there's now 10 days, two weeks or so until United's next game. Mm-hmm. I think they go to Newcastle on the Sunday uh, yeah. the at the start of April. Christian Eriksen may not be back, but they've essentially confirmed he will be back in April, uh, mm-hmm. which is a big plus. Anthony Martial back in training. I think they've done exactly what I wanted them to do in the sense of not even testing in, testing him in matches and giving him another two weeks to absolutely make sure he doesn't get injured again. Although there's no guarantees. But I think having players back like Anthony Martial... It's, we were talking at the start of the season, Rob, and we were saying, oh, 
if Martial can stay fit in preseason, he really looks sharp. He looks like he's knitting with yeah. these players. And we haven't seen it at all. Could that really games. get could it give United a different dimension? Been out for 40 matches this year across all competitions. It's horrendous for us. Um, you can't blame Martial, but ultimately, this is why I think over this summer we will be talking about a striker more than that because Cristiano left. Like that's kind of come and gone now, and that narrative has flown away, isn't it? With the birds, with I think with Manchester Martial, if you'd had a fit Martial this year, I really do think United would have been title contenders or even a further few points up the league. So it's been a, a disappointing one for for Martial, and like you're just saying there. Even if you can keep him fit now for this small spell at the end of the season, that's a huge benefit compared to what you've had to deal with in the last few weeks. You're just seeing, aren't you? Like the whole thing with Valt Veghorst is that he's still the one guy now who's pressing. He's like the one man press, but he can't finish. So those two things, unfortunately, are real, but don't really correlate. But you've got no choice, have you? You still need someone at the top end of the pitch pressing. But if you get Martial back, you've suddenly got another option that does other things there, but also keeps your press in shape. So I don't know. I just think the, the, this is this is why this two weeks is international break. It's important now to get players ready for this next spell. And you just mentioned Ericsson there. Uh, I've never felt more passionate about Christian Ericsson being in the team than I do right now. You need Christian Ericsson back tomorrow. Now, like, you don't want to rush it, but you need someone who can play on the ball. Because Man United just lack ball players. And that's something that's going to have to be addressed in the transfer market. Yeah, I did tweet during the game uh, against Fulham that I would just like to see Man United sign some players who can pass the ball uh, ahead of next season. Yeah. Because I was looking at that the other day. And I, maybe you can play this game too. From the from the players who were on the pitch, I really only had confidence in Lisandro Martinez's ability to pass the ball out of all 11 players on that pitch. You know, the kind of... What I'm talking about here is he's in possession... He can pass the ball forward accurately and mm-hmm. not give it away and not invite pressure. He can actually make that line breaking pass. And you you are confident that he can do that because there's no there wasn't really any other player on the pitch at the time that I felt could offer that same confidence. And Christian Outs and I were put in that same boat though. Yeah, totally. Well, like, it really is a kind of small fist of players, like honestly, that, that can do that ball progression. Lissandro is one of them. But when you look at what we've lost in that, in that period of going into the, the Fulham game, you know, Casemiro can do that. He's not there. Eriksen can do that. He's not there. Varane can do that. He's not there. Luke Shaw can do that, but had a pretty bad game, I thought, mm-hmm. against Fulham. But he's one of your major ball progressors, you know, on that left-hand side. So then you're relying on other players that, that give you problems every week in terms of like possession. And this is like, I'm not going to go on a Bruno rant. I don't need to, not going to talk about that. But Bruno loses the ball more than pretty much anyone in the team. And people say it's because he's a flair player. You do need midfielders in the eight and the 10 that can keep the ball. We're going to have to keep saying that, Scott, until Man United buy players that allow you to do that. We haven't got them at the moment. So you just it's just like kind of tick that box and move on. But this was the thing, wasn't it? I thought actually Fulham for that first hour of the game or so they were doing Fulham things like they were counter pressing on us they were getting the ball they were moving it quick they were in transition where United just looked confused and tired and like how do we get through this one well you got through it because it was probably the biggest implosion in football history especially for the season where a team completely presses the self-destruct button the good thing is Scott that United did take advantage of that because you still could have made a mess of that say Bruno misses the penalty then you know, you're still 1-0 down and 
Fulham go into decamp mode and you have to try and break them down. But it was good that it all kind of turned on a dime very quickly for Man United. So let's uh, let's discuss that situation then. I know it's been a couple of days since that match happened and mm. there's been a lot of fallout since. Mitrovic should be banned for the rest of the season. Mitrovic should be banned for 10 games. Uh, although, for, first off, maybe we should go with the Willian handball. Mm. I've Maybe this is just for social media clout, but I've seen people saying <laughs> it wasn't handball or it wasn't a red card. Uh, what? What yes. is the answer to anyway, that? Anyway, I'll move on after that one because <laughs> that, that is a, it's a, handball. It's crazy. Do you know Scott? Sorry, just to, before you jump on, well done to William. He tried to save his team in that moment. I've got no issue with that. I don't call it cheating. It's within the rules of the game, and you get sent off. So that's fine. Like he put his hand out there. It's a red card. It's stopping a goal scoring opportunity. There's no debate. People saying that there's a debate there are completely in cloud cuckoo land. They really, really are. There is no debate about that. I don't think William was debating it. He really wasn't. He, he saved his team. He did the right thing to save his, his club in that moment and give them a chance on the penalty spot because you stop that moment and you give the goalkeeper a chance to be a hero. What happened after, though, was the was the real meltdown moment. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so Marco Silva was sent off on the touchline for... Mm-hmm. I've seen suggestions that he said something or other suggestions that he threw a water bottle at one of the officials. Yeah. And I don't I don't actually know what it was, but obviously he was red carded and he said afterwards that yeah, I probably shouldn't have behaved like that. But then there's the Alexandra Mitrovic red card, which is the real kicker, I think. Uh, Marco Silva said he was frustrated that some decisions didn't go Fulham's way in the first half. Yeah. You know. <laughs> If if you're gonna moan like that all the time, I think you'll, you'll never be happy with the the standard of officiating in this Boo-hoo country. Who for you but, that you didn't yes. get a few decisions? Um, but the Mitrovic one was the real the real kicker. Now, I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen as well, people comparing it to Bruno Fernandez's hmm. awful shove on the official at Anfield uh, when United were trailing by several goals. Mitrovic was actually angry, like that. That was. It was different, wasn't it? It really was. Completely different. One's an act of aggression and one's an act of petulance. So if you want to, like we we discussed it, didn't we, on the show, that there, there is a chance that as soon as you touch a referee in any way, shape or form, that you could end up in the book, either as a yellow or a red. It can happen. But if you're comparing the two scenarios, so one where Bruno's actually kind of grabbed by the wrist twice by the, by the linesman, that's pretty visual where you can see it on the on the camera grabs him twice and then Bruno kind of swats him away as you go as he goes round him it's not an act of aggression and this is where the rule book comes into it what Mitrovic did is about as heinous as he could do without punching the referee without physically attacking the referee but everything he did do in those moments kind of I think there's like three separate incidents within that kind of blink of an eye were all acts of aggression towards the official in a way that you cannot accept and that should carry an absolutely huge ban. So my personal opinion is that he should be banned for the rest of the season. I think you should do oh, really? it. Months. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do think that because I, th- this way I look at it, Scott, is that you, you can have you can have space in between the rule book on certain things because it's about interpretation. Now, he didn't attack the referee. He didn't attack him. But the the intimidation factor 
and the act of aggression at the highest level of the game, if we let that go at the highest level and you get three matches and we give it that, it will trickle down the pyramid and you'll have people on Sundays going up to referees, getting in their faces. Now, that does happen, but that's why these referees at the lower levels wear body cam armour now. Can you believe that? Referees have to wear body cam like they're police. So there you go. They've got body cam because of that. So at the highest level, you cannot accept it. And I looked at it this way, is that as soon as he touches, a referee kind of spins him round to kind of get him in front of him. That's a red straight away. You can't do that. It's an act of aggression. But after that, Scott, the problem was, is that when he got the red card... He marched the referee down. Yeah, he it was marched, intimidating behaviour. Int- intimidated the referee, and he, he marched him down and got closer and closer, faced getting face to face, and that is where you have to take the ban for the rest of the season. That's the way I look at it. So the referees' association came out yesterday in support of their referee. I thought the ref did really well because, in human terms, there when someone does that to you, what if the referee had turned around and clocked him? That would have been the end of the referee's career, wouldn't it? Finished. You know, so the acts of aggression there is kind of two or threefold. And I think it carries separate bands. So there, there really, really is. And that's the way I look at it. And Fulham imploded, didn't they? And the manager didn't help himself. Like he threw the, the water bottle at the linesman. That's why he got sent off. That's what they're, what they're stating. But he also went mad. You saw him, didn't you? Going up to the fourth official, hands in the air. The whole Fulham team collapsed. Because after that Mitrovic moment, they all surrounded the referee, didn't they? And got in the referee's face. We've spent weeks on this show criticising referees. I want to applaud that referee because I think he held his nerve in that moment when you've got 11 big blokes jumping down your throat. And it's not your fault. It's their fault. So I look at Mitrovic like that and I think, yeah, he can carry on his career, but go sit on the sidelines for the rest of the season. That's why I look at it. 10, 11, 12 matches. I'm comfortable with that because three matches don't cut it. We just give Casemiro four matches for like what? Nothing, you know? Just being sent off now and then. <laughs> but I think we do that. We, it's an act of aggression and it's an, an act of intimidation. That's much, much more serious. And I said the only thing he could have done was punched a referee and that would have been a year ban or something like that. But yeah, I, I look at it as a, as a serious misconduct and, and should carry a huge ban. What do you well, think, Scott? I, I'm not quite on the rest of the season train. Uh, I think you get your three matches It's only like 10, 10 games, isn't it? It's like... And then you get... Another three or four for intimidating behavior, maybe. Yeah. I, I, just just because ultimately I, I did think he, he lost his rag in that moment. Plus, he's a very intimidating guy. And I think, I don't know whether you've seen how he trains, but I, I'm pretty sure he's a, you know, let's just say, <laughs> you wouldn't want to get in a scrap with him. Let's just, let's just put it that way, the, the way that he trains. But... But um, who, he, who he is shouldn't matter, or what he is, or what he does should not matter. It's a, you've got to look at every incident on a football pitch in isolation. So I think the fact that he, he, it's verbals, first of all, he has a go at him. Yeah, that's the first thing. And then the whole point of it is that when he spins him round, that's the next thing. And then he walks him down. So is that three red cards? Well, three red cards would be nine matches. So I don't know. Like, I think you've got to. I think you do have to make an example of players in this moment. I don't care if they're tough guys or not. Roy King got made an example of Scott when he wrote in his book that he wanted to do someone. So like, you know, and he got multiple matches for that. So I look at this and I think to myself, I know that some people are like, oh, you know, it's a man's game and all this, you know, machismo. No, it's a sport. And at the end of the day, that is serious misconduct. And that's, that's the way I kind of look at it. If it's a Man United player doing it, 
I'd have said exactly the same thing. I'd have gone, you go sit on the sidelines for the rest of the season because you can't do it. And it, it happens so rarely because it is so serious. I do think he realised in the moment, I lost his rag for about 10 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever it was, but he realised after a while, oh God, what am I doing? What am I doing? He saw red. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to advocate for a full season ban for him, but I do think that they, they do need to give an extra little bit of punishment because it wasn't the right thing to do. And it was intimidating behaviour. I can imagine how the referee felt in that moment. But anyway. Um, do the crime, do the time. Like, he was in the tunnel afterwards, still kicking off, like, for about 20 minutes. So I, I think he realised it, but I think he realised it more in the sense that, oh, I'm in big trouble here now. So, you know, and and the Fulham team tried to rally around him. And that in itself was stupidity because they're now going to get a huge fine for that, aren't they? So I don't know. Like, I, I think this is the thing. It depends how much you sympathise with these hard men footballers. What would it look like, Scott, if the referee was a woman? Yeah, if he'd marched down a woman on a football pitch, it would have been people would have gone and, and been more shocked by it, I think. You know, referees, this is why we're looking at it not just being a male thing. It's a footballer thing. So I think it's really important that we we kind of... We protect referees because we we kill referees every week, Scott, don't we, for for their mistakes. But the reason why they make mistakes is because they've got people like Mitrovic getting in their faces. So I think you have to protect them in that moment. I think that's why Mitrovic needs this ban, because he needs to go away and have a big holiday and think about who he is when he does that. I know people love him, that he's a bit of a, you know, he loves getting stuck in and all of this, but... My God, like, where, where is the line in the sand, Scott? That's what I say. So I think footballers have to take responsibility for their own actions. Three red cards, nine matches. I'd say that's all right. On uh, the subject of strikers, there have been some supporters who've maybe jokingly floated Mitrovic's name as a potential alternative. No, no I don't want Mitrovic. No uh... <laughs> No but I, I'm trying to find a segue into the transfer business section. Uh, <laughs> won't be Mitrovic, but no, will it? Will it be Harry Kane? Because uh, there are there was a report from the Times earlier this week. Now, this is a little bit different. This is a little bit different, I think, because all the noise that we've heard so far, and everybody knows what's going on at Tottenham with Antonio Conte. Whether I don't know when you're listening to this, but the chances are he's probably been sacked if you're listening to this 24 hours after we recorded this. But they are they could have gone ahead of United in the league if they'd have won at the weekend. But obviously, we, we all saw Harry uh, Antonio Conte's absolute box. It was, it was so funny. It was perfect. It was absolutely fantastic. I've not seen a press conference like that in years. It was brilliant. However, Spurs have always been very, 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 very hard-nosed on the fact that they, they don't want to sell Harry Kane to a, an English rival. They would prefer to sell him abroad. Suggestion from the Times earlier this week that they will only sell Harry Kane for $100 million flat cash. Now, that is a weakening of their position, in, in my eyes. I, I think that's a weakening of their position. Yes. And also, if that is their hardline stance when you know that Harry Kane's got 12 months left on his contract. I think mm -hmm. you can get them down from there to 80. Personally, I think you can. But obviously it requires a bit of uh, determination from Harry Kane to get out. If he wants to get out, that is because uh, Spurs obviously have, if they get rid of Conte, will have another manager to a point. Uh, Glasner from, from uh, Frankfurt has been linked. Richard Pochettino is obviously in there and been linked as well. There are other managers too. But 
is this encouraging? Is this an encouraging development in the United Pursuit of Hurricane? Yes, it is. And I, and I think it's all about what are you buying for? So we will talk about a future striker as the show goes on, someone that we're both very interested in, no Manchester United are interested in, who's also a Man United fan at another football club. We'll mention him very soon. I think when you look at Harry Kane, you've got to look at what your needs are now. Now, we've spent a whole season, Scott, haven't we, talk about how good things United have, have been for United under Ten Hag and how he's changed things. But where is the key positions on the football pitch that if you just solve them tomorrow, you start to be viable title contenders? Now, people will say 100 million for Harry Kane is a lot of money, but that's on all the provisos, isn't it? That Harry Kane is old, Harry Kane gets injured and all these things. Well, let's address those things because I think United fans talk about them a lot. Harry Kane isn't old. And I see why people are making the Casemiro comparison because I said that on our show, that Casemiro is getting older. I think the positions are important. Harry Kane is still cutting it at the highest level in the Premier League, isn't he, as a striker? 20 goals a season with his eyes closed. If you could go get a play that gives you that even for two, three years at 100 million in the current market, that's good value. You just said they're weakening the Spurs' position. I think the key here now for them is what happens with the next manager. Who is the next manager? Because I think... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It is Pochettino, and that's where my bet would go at the moment. Pochettino's back, living in North London, at his old at his old place. That's where he's been, uh, his old house from where he lived when he was at Spurs. For me, that's your kind of natural choice. Still very, very good friends with Daniel Levy and a man who will come into your squad and make things better for the people who are kind of upset by Conte. Now, if you do that, Scott, you're in the top four. That's not a bad position for Spurs to be in. Then it's all about, does Harry Kane sign a new contract under Pochettino? Well, it depends how ambitious Harry Kane is because Man United's project looks ambitious at the moment. You might have new owners soon. You've got a really good new manager and a team on the up. Could you be the Van Persie, the cherry on the cake for that, for that project? Yeah, I think that he would like that. I think he'd look at that and go, that's something I could do for two or three years and I'll get the Premier League goal-scoring record and I might even become Man United club captain. You know, they've got leadership space there. I could do all of those things and still be Harry Kane. So I think it's, it's, it is a, a positive sign for Man United, but it really now just comes down to where you feel that key player, who is it you want? Do you want a striker? Do you want a central midfielder? Is there somewhere else on the pitch that you're looking at and you go, actually, no, I need a goalkeeper now because De Gea's feet are not good. Shout out to David De Gea again, saving us against Fulham. Boy, he seems to do it every week. Most unliked player with his feet, but so good with his hands. But then you kind of look at it with Harry Kane. 
I think if Kane came to Man United at the start of next season, I would be confident of a title challenge. Also, <clears throat> on the subject of Harry Kane being too old or whatever, if Harry Kane was a striker who relied on his pace yeah. and getting in behind and his physicality... Like Cristiano. Like Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. And you were signing him at 30. Absolutely. Fine. It's a problem. No yeah. prop, no prop, no issue at all. That is a problem. That that would be a problem. That yeah. would be profiling the wrong. And maybe that was part of the concern about Casemiro as well. He has to cover a lot of ground in that role. Exactly. He has to obviously his positioning means that he's in the right places a lot of the time. But mm. as a central midfielder, you generally have to cover ground, especially if you're a defensive midfielder. You either have to be well positioned or be in or have a big enough engine to get around the pitch. That was the concerns with Casemiro. He's been great this year, absolutely. But that is a concern that was going to move forward. And we've said it on this podcast as well. They do need somebody else to come in in the same role and help him manage his minutes because you can't play him 66 games a season. With Harry Kane, he's never relied on pace. Now, he needs to maintain the engine that he has in order to press and to, you know, get in the right positions. What What makes Harry Kane so good is his brain. And if anything... As long as he can stay injury-free, and the injury record over the last three years has been quite good, if he can stay injury-free, he's only going to get smarter. With more experience, he will know which roles to to occupy. He will know that I think that Marcus Rashford Harry Kane partnership is potential gold. Like it's it's, it's essentially Kane and Son all over again, but with a younger version. And Marcus Rashford will benefit from having a striker like that in the mm. team, that ability for Kane to drop off and Rashford to run in behind is just, it's, it's, it's essentially guaranteeing goals. I think he's the perfect kind of striker that United should be looking at. And I know people are going to be shouting, Victor Osman, Victor Osman. Oh, absolutely. If United end up signing Victor Osman, fine. I think he'll cost more than Harry Kane. I think he'll take more time to adapt than Harry Kane. I don't think the fit is as natural there with a player no. like Harry Kane. Uh, I also think the step up from Serie A to the Premier League, it's not always, you see it in Kaladu Koulibaly this season. I know he's a defender and he's 30 and maybe you're thinking, all right, he's he's left it too late. It's not always a guarantee that players who move to Serie A, ha- Harry will tell you, he's listening to the to this podcast uh, from, from behind the scenes. What makes players stand out in Serie A and invariably is, you know, physical abilities, which can, you know, take them above the rest of the league. In the Premier League, that's that's level playing ground. And full full credit to Harry for that because he uh, he he watches a lot more Serie A than I do these days. But they are the concerns with Victor Osman. If he does end up, if United do end up signing Victor Osman, no problem at all, no problem at all. But I think Harry Kane is the one that I would pick, and I'm not alone in that camp. Yeah, it's important. I think as we go forwards, when we talk about these things, that we kind of do our best to to separate those two players, like they're like for like, just because they're strikers. They're so different in terms of what they bring to the table. And it really is about what do Man United need? And Man United still do need this leadership angle. They do need a number nine, but they need a smart footballer up there. They really do. And I think the Cristiano uh, comparison, I think, is the most pertinent one because that was the issue with Cristiano, is that watching him in the flesh at Old Trafford and seeing him hands on hip blowing and then running for five yards and going... That was a problem straight from the early days. You knew that that was never going to get better. Now, Harry Kane has no issues, I think, in terms of that, how he manages himself. As an old guy, 
I'm going to make the Teddy Sheridan comparison again because we let Teddy Sheridan go two, three or four years too early. Yeah, he was still a top player when he left Man United and went on and carried on being a very good player in the league. Now, he went on till he was like 40-odd. So that, 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 I, that's an extreme version. But I think when you look at, uh, at strikers, is that if they're clever and can manage themselves, they've only really got to kind of operate in a very small box in and around there in the, in the press as well. They need to go look after that space in the central channel and maybe drift left and right. Now, Harry Kane does all of that really well. Comes out, plays the 10, can link up play. As you said, Son's success at, 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 um, at Spurs, I think it's been hugely on Harry Kane's shoulders, just the way Harry Kane plays, allowing someone else to run beyond him. I think Bruno Fernandes would benefit massively from Harry Kane in front of him in terms of the movement and opening the play up for him, opening up that space. As you said, you mentioned Marcus already. So I think 100 million for Kane is value. Like you said, you might be able to bump it down. The wages will be astronomical. They will be because he's on his last big payday. But this is your chance to go and buy potentially the greatest striker that ever played Premier League football. Like he's on his way to winning that goal record. Now, I know people... Again, make the comparison to Haaland. Haaland's now gone on a big goal glut and scoring loads of goals, and City have gone in that direction. It was only a week ago that Guardiola was sat there, being completely honest that that wasn't working. <laughs> I still now, this this might be controversial, I still now think Harry Kane would have been a better signing for City than Haaland. I, I think I, he, would, he might not have scored as many goals, but you wouldn't have the problem in style. I think there'd be 10 points better off with Harry Kane up top than Haaland. Now, that is not a slant at Haaland. He is going to be one of the greatest strikers we've ever seen. There's no doubt about it, but systems matter, yeah? And that's how you win titles, getting your system right, working on it for years and getting there. Now, can Haaland assimilate? Of course he can. But I think you see that his weaknesses have been the problem why City are not above Arsenal this year. This is the problem. They should be well ahead of Arsenal. So they're not. Arsenal have credit to their credit have maintained their their place at the top of the league by by merit but you look at what's going on at City yeah they've, they've kind of hit a bit of a vein of form haven't they with Haaland up top but it's still not really natural when I watch it it's just that they're taking those opportunities now whereas for weeks they haven't I look at Harry Kane I, I totally agree with you I think you put him in a good team Scott smart team and let him do his thing He'll always score goals, but he'll also help other score goals. That's really important about whichever striker we go for has to be someone that does that, that makes us holistically better. Isn't just a guy that that has to score the goals. Because I think that's what will happen with Osman. Osman comes in, people will go, well, he didn't score 40 goals. What's, what's going on here? He didn't score 40. He's not good. He's rubbish, isn't he? Well, that probably won't be true either. So I'd like Osman. I'd take Another him. Another thing as well, like, and I think Harry Kane is... It's, essentially plug and play right totally and maybe you run a risk of a few weeks where he he doesn't hit the ground running straight away but you know that you're buying 20 premier league goals a season for the next three four years with victor osserman if he comes in at 150 mil euros and he doesn't score in his first two games mm. you see it with anthony now anthony cost 80 odd million and people think he's crap if osserman is looks a tiny bit awkward. If Osman doesn't get off to a great start, it's flop straight away, straight away. And that narrative, it might not play into his mind too much, but you'll have to live with that. I'm not, I'm not be funny. The copywriters will already have those ghosts written already about about failure about Osman. They will. They'll have them ready. 
sat there waiting to release to the world because that narrative is already ex will exist with whoever comes, isn't it? Like that's just what it is. And I, I don't think that's a reason to not buy Osman because I don't care about those things as a fan. But fans do talk about them a lot. And the press and obviously our media, we all talk about these things all the time. So I, I, I wouldn't be worried about it. But I think if you are going to buy someone for 150 million, you have to realise that there is an impact on the rest of your squad building. That's just the truth. 150 million fee going out to Napoli. Napoli will push for as big a fee as possible. Yes, you've got your next generation superstar. Forget all this 10-year lark. I keep hearing he's our striker for 10 years. No, it doesn't work like that. What if it doesn't not. work? It, it, then exactly. he's not. <laughs> we're, we're already, I think, on the cusp of talking about will we sell Jaden Sancho in the summer? Like, it's a thing. Like, we don't, it's not real, but that's where we're going. Like, if he doesn't improve his performances, you're going to start talking, well, do you just go by someone else? Because that's the opportunity there. I don't think you want to do that with a £150 million striker. And, I, and I, I'm not saying that I don't think he would do it. However, Serie A is just not the same animal as the Premier League. It is a tougher league. So, and especially for strikers for scoring goals. Her, uh, Roy King said it the other day. The hardest thing in football is to score a goal. That is, and it's so true. I agree with that. I think that is the big thing in football is that you need that natural goal scoring talent, but you need the team to work for those goals. So, uh, I think 100 million for Kane is is just too easy. He's someone that will give you goals, and then he will allow you to build the rest of the squad at 100 million. Or say you even get him less, Scott, 90 million on a big wage. You could still then go and buy a midfielder. You could still, though, go and address other positions. And that really does matter. But then again, if you've got owners who are richer than the earth, then, then it might not matter as much. <laughs> I will also say that would you prefer to buy Victor Osserman for £150 million or Harry Kane plus Evan Ferguson or Benjamin Sesko for the same-ish price? Doesn't even have to be this year. But totally. What United will have to do if they if they they bought Casemiro, obviously, if they do buy Harry Kane, they will have to make sure that they have a long term succession plan to that within the next couple of years, probably, yeah. just because you will need to manage the minutes of that player. Mm. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's the worst way to do it because you are banking everything on the more expensive signing if you just buy one. You are, uh, I... but yeah, let's let's talk Brighton as well because they they play uh, United in the FA Cup semi final. And I know you want to talk about this today, Rob. There's been transfer speculation around Evan Ferguson, who I don't know whether this is a fake quote, but it looks it like he used to love Danny Welbeck. Uh, he used to love watching Man United. Now they're playing alongside each other at Brighton. Uh, and he's really tearing it up. I didn't realize how young he was. He's like 17, 18 years old. Uh, looks like he's got all the tools to, to succeed in the Premier League in the future. And then there's Alexis McAllister and uh, Mitoma as well, who've been linked with United over the past couple of days. You'd take all three, would you, Rob? I would. And I think the thing is here is that, I, I don't know, I'm one of these Manchester United supporters that kind of, I don't always get turned on by the biggest signing. I'm, I'm kind of so, I, I, for myself, I'm always really focused about the bits and the pieces, the Lego bricks. How do you make it bigger to make it better? That's how it goes. And it takes time and it takes players. Um, I think when you look at these three Brighton players, yeah, Brighton have had an incredible successful period, haven't they, this season? They've, they've kind of kicked on. I like, think Graham Potter leaving a football club, many people thought, including myself, that that might be the trigger for a spiral towards relegation. And what's happened? Well, they've got better. 
<laughs> they, they look better. They're, they're a better team. They still play amazing football. And I think they're actually better in the final third than they were under Potter. They, they look more viable. They're more dangerous. So you mentioned those three players. Let's start with Ferguson, because I think he's a really interesting player more than anything to start off with. He is a Man United fan, 100%. The Danny Welbeck quote, I think what he was actually alluding to was that he's enjoying playing with Danny Welbeck. And he was saying he kind of, he liked him at Man United because he was a big Man United fan. So I think that's where those two things fit in together. But the comparison with Ferguson really is, is with Wayne Rooney at that age, is that he's kind of already physically developed for someone so young and looks like a player ready to go the next step, doesn't he? Like, I think that if he's if he's still at Brighton next year, then he will be the starter and we will soon be talking about him in trying to Jude Bellingham price ranges. So what do you do, Scott? You go get him now. Go get him now while you can get him for a fee that looks big, but actually is nowhere near as big as it will be in 12 or 24 months. Like when he's 20, he might well be an £150 million striker. So I don't want to put that on his weight on his shoulders now. But like you just said there, do you go and do that business with Kane and Ferguson for the price of an Osserman? I think it's a no-brainer. Two players. I would also put Sesco's name in that as well. We have said this in previous shows. I, yeah, I think the issue with Sesco is the contractual situation where he's gone and all of this. And, and there's, a, there's a kind of bigger picture with Sesco. But yeah, I like Sesco as well. But I think you could go and get Ferguson. Man United fan, you can play on that. You'll want to play for Man United, there's no doubt about it. And if you team him up with Kane in terms of rotation for next season, you're sorted. And that's a position for Man United that's been a huge issue as we've gone through the season, isn't it? Since Cristiano left, it's been kind of like, well, let's try and find a way to have someone who presses. Let's go get, you know, let's go and get Vegas and, and do it that way. Well, you might be after Vegas next year as well, somewhere in your rotation if you decide to sign him. He's not the answer to anything, is he? He's just the answer to your pressing. So you need other players that can do it. So I like the idea of, of, of Kane and Ferguson. I think that would be an incredible mix. And then you can kind of look at the others you've got and you can think, well, with Rashford still scoring goals, maybe from the left, you might even keep Martial as someone who's a bench player, someone that, that you, you look after his body, but he still gives you good production. Or you get rid of Martial and you give a contract to Vegost. And, and, and then you've got four proper players that can play the nine and you've got different players and that's really important you can't have the same thing four times over you want four different number nines that you can rotate that was the ferguson way back in the day with york cole Sheringham, solskjaer and i still think that works i think if you've got four players that can do that one role it gives you incredible amounts of proper rotation you're not just trying to mix and match when you get an injury so you're saying then as well that you would also spend 120 million on Matoma and McAllister. Yes, because I think, again, the way of looking at this is about the player profile as opposed to just the market value. So I know we've talked a lot about the market value with Osserman, but that's not the issue for me, the 150 million. It is actually more about what the player could do and might not do. I think when you look at Matoma and look at McAllister, they were two players that I would have liked before the World Cup. I know like the World Cup's blown up McAllister's value, but I think you need players who are good on the ball and have kind of bulwark sensibilities while being able to do other things. It's still Man United's biggest weakness, Scott. So I think Matoma is um, is hot property at the moment. Like, it's, it's just, he's the name, isn't he? But I think he's shown in a very short period of time, I think in a better team, he would be even more productive. I think like Brighton, he has to do a lot of the stuff there for Brighton to be creative. And I think when you look at McAllister, 
this then becomes a discussion about number eights and about what kind of number eight do you want? Do you want a De Jong doing that role who's a bit more smooth and silky? Do you want someone who's more box to box? So I think McAllister at the moment is one of the best box to boxes you can get in Europe. Um, he's at Brighton, but yeah, it's unfashionable. But you've got to see from the body of work. That's what I'm trying to work with here. And I think these three players here from Brighton, it's a little bit like Liverpool did with Southampton back in the day where they went and bought several players from Southampton and everyone said, what a mistake that was. Well, Jurgen Klopp wasn't wrong in the end. Jurgen Klopp won titles off the back of that. Go find your diamonds in the rough, Scott. They don't always have to be, you know, the next big thing, your next Mbappes. They've got to be players that work in your system. I would say Chelsea have already locked down Brighton for that uh, talent factory, given they've taken players, manager people higher up. Yeah. <laughs> Taking the whole the whole shebang, haven't they? Taking literally the whole back room. <laughs> and they're beneath them in the league. Anyway, uh, let's move on to final the final topics. Uh, one I'll throw in quickly. Man United are falling victim to the new manager bounce again. Sevilla have sacked George Sampaoli and they're their next opponents in the Europa League. Exciting times. Uh, how many times does that happen this season? It's Three, four? Every season, Scott. Doesn't it happen every year? Good grief. Anyway, uh, that should I like make the that draw. game more interesting. I yeah. like the draw. I like the draw. I like the draw. I, th- I, th- I think, you know, as much as Sevilla have got this incredible history in the Europa League, six-time winners and all of that, what does it count for? Nothing. So it's all about the two teams. I think Man United are better than Sevilla this year, certainly. And I think you can go down. The, the Sevilla are no better than Cadiz. So I think you're not so Cadiz. I said it again. I, I do it every week. It's because it's in the same geographical thing. I think I think geography-wise, and I think I've been to both places and they're both quite close. So They uh, also played, both both teams played United in the World Cup. There you go. Resolution. That's that's why I keep mentioning Cadiz, I think. But uh, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, no, they're no better than uh, Betis. And if anything, Betis are a better team than Sevilla this year. So um, I think it's a good draw for Man United. Yes, we haven't done a pod since that draw was announced, uh, but hopefully United can go on to end up getting to the final in Budapest, I believe it is. Believe it is. Uh, final note today, Ownership Wednesday uh, is coming. The deadline for submissions of second takeover bids for Man United is 9pm on Wednesday, British summertime, or is it GMT at the moment? I think the clocks go forward uh, on Saturday, don't they? But yeah, uh, Jim Ratcliffe in there. Qatar are going to come back with a a new improved offer. But there are up to eight parties interested still. Hmm. Very interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think the whole thing is, is that we've... The, the the noise has been centred around Qatar and Jim Ratcliffe, hasn't it? They're, they're the stories. But there are people in the background who've got a lot of money looking at Man United and thinking, well, we could gazump bids here. So I think this is why the Glazers have tried to take their time. Because as I said last week's show, I still think the Glazers have one eye on refinancing and keeping the football club. But they're going to let these eight bidders play off each other, aren't they? And that's kind of... That's that's actually relatively normal. Like, you're not just going to say, yeah, we're going to go with this one person. It is interesting to see that maybe some of the media outlets that have significant Saudi investment in them are going along the anti-Qatar route. That's what we're seeing and we're hearing. And they're going with the Jim Radcliffe side. Uh, This is why I don't want Man United to get into this political vortex because this is what we become. We become part of the sports washing, don't we, somewhere along the lines, is that we become 
we're on Qatar's side and not Saudi's side. And yet Saudi Qatar have got this huge battle now for dominance across so many industries across the world. Do we want it to be part of our football? Not really. So I'm very interested to see tomorrow what the final eight bids are, because I think we're going to see some surprises. Jim Ratcliffe's already kind of come out and spoken to American press and said that he will not overpay. I do think Qatar are putting that out there as well. Qatar are kind of saying we are not going to pay over the odds here. But you know what, Scott? One of those eight bidders will. One of those eight bidders is going to come in with a super mad offer of 6.2 billion or something like that or more. And you're going to see people scuttle away and you're going to see maybe Jim Radcliffe then walk away from that kind of deal. Um, when we say eight people, is that again just noise from certain outlets? I don't know. Is it just going to be two people tomorrow? We'll find out. Yeah, not really too much to say there. We just wait and see how this develops. Uh, we'll pick back up on it on Friday. Any final thoughts for today, Rob? No, I think off the back of that, I still think Qatar are the favourites with that. I still think that they, they're the ones who, who are kind of making the moves or the biggest moves. Um, but yeah, international break, a nice time for us to kind of decompress a little bit, isn't it? I think for us, life goes on and football goes on and work goes on. But it's just, I think it's a good timed break for Man United this time, even though it's not something that I advocate usually with the internationals. Yes, uh, we'll see. We'll we'll see what we bring you on the next show. No injuries. That's no what I would say. No, no injuries. Don't, don't want to see any of our players go out on international duty and then you see something terrible and you always go, oh, because that... That feels like it always happens to us. Bruno Fernandes, don't run around too much for Portugal. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll be back on Friday. Subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. And twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, we usually drop episodes. Like the video today, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment for us on YouTube as well, uh, and download the audio as well. You know, just give us hits everywhere. We, we want to keep growing. Find us on Twitter as well, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. Uh, thanks, Rob. I'm very glad this is over because I'm finding it difficult to speak because I've got through this entire show with a little bit of a head cold. Uh, You've done well, Scott. Th- thank you, mate. Uh, really appreciate the, the support, and we appreciate you listening, everyone. Thanks very much uh, for listening. We'll be back with another Promise and very soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.